All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for um, uh, for your word, and thank you that we can study it. Uh, thank you that um, you have just given us, uh, just revealed to us uh, such deep truths, and we pray that as we go through introduction of Psalms, that um, it would make sense, that it would uh, um, it would be uh, uh, beneficial for us as we uh, learn how to read uh, the Psalms and the Bible in general. So be with us and help us uh, have good conversations and discussions. Uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Okay. So if you look at these notes, I did everything that Michael has told me to never to do, right? Do I put out all your notes and I make it really long. And and so um, what I'm going to do is um, uh, we're just going to go through each point um, uh, fairly quickly. So I'm just going to, you don't have to like get lost in the notes. Don't, you don't have to like, you know, your notes, reading everything, but I'm just going to go over, go over everything uh, with you guys briefly so that it'll make sense, hopefully, okay? And then, uh, so there's two parts to this study. Uh, the part one is the overview of the book of the Psalms, right? Um, and then uh, the second part is just Hebrew poetry in general, right? And we're going to talk about uh, just the parts of Hebrew poetry, um, the parallelism and uh, imagery that goes with Hebrew poetry, okay? And then we have examples and stuff. Okay, so let's start. Um, um, so the first thing to know in, in the Psalms is that Psalms is a part of wisdom literature, right? So uh, I, I grabbed this uh, uh, little quote from the ESV Study Bible of what wisdom literature entails, right? Wisdom literature looks to give insight into how the way the world works, humanity's place within it, and how all this operates under God's creative sovereign care, right? And so, um, yeah, it just basically gives us w- insight and wisdom into the nature and reality of how things are, right? And that's kind of what wisdom literature is, right? Um, all right, so we're going to talk about the origin and development of the Psalms here. Um, the Psalms is comprised of 150 different Psalms, right? Different uh, 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 books, not books, but uh, just uh, individual Psalms in general, right? And so throughout the course of... Uh, um, a thousand years, maybe like from 1300, uh, 1300 BC to 400 BC, from the time of Moses all the way out to uh, the exile, right? Uh, post-exilic period. Um, that's the Psalms were just being compiled this whole time, right? And so, so um, we see that uh, uh, majority of the Psalms were written pre-exile, meaning before the exile of, uh, um, and then uh, so at, so right here, here's Moses, right? So it starts here, all the way up to here. Exile, right? So within this thousand years, let's say it's roughly 1300 to 400 BC, right? Um, this is when the Psalms were being written. And then uh, we had this final editor, this redactor, right, that compiled all of these Psalms together. He put them together into what we what we have now, right? So we, we have the final editor over here, right? Final editor. And then he puts all these Psalms together, Um and so the Psalms are continually being added, uh, not necessarily systematically, uh, but they're just being added. And then so, so the uh, the Psalms that we have is not necessarily in chronolo- chronological order. It's um, there's no apparent order in subject matter or date from the overall structure of the book. Okay, but there are uh, important groupings that we can take a look at. Okay, so if you look at down to C, we see that there are five major sections or books within the Psalms, right? And you can see the uh, um, see it split up here: book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, right? Um, and then so, 
um, what we see in book one and book two is kind of just uh, it was grouped by authorship, right? Um, the majority of them are Davidic Psalms, meaning um, uh, King David was probably the author in in a lot of these Psalms, right? Or it's the, the Psalms are attributed to uh, David. Um, also, there we see a small grouping of songs of ascent used by pilgrims to Jerusalem in Psalm 120 to 134. And then overall, the Psalms we see is it moves from um, lament to praise. So we see in uh, we see in Psalms right that so here's Psalm one all the way up to Psalm 150, right? It's very heavy lament, meaning it's very sorrowful, very depressing. Uh, but we see a movement towards towards what praise, right? At the end, we see a lot of praise mm-hmm. at the at the end, right? And we see a movement from suffering to glory, right? <coughs> so that's the overall overall this big picture of, of Psalms, right? Does that make sense? Pretty clear. Cool. Okay. So a message of the Psalms. Um. So in order to uh, get the message of the Psalms, we have to understand the concept of covenant. It's very important to understand, right? Um, and uh, uh, Trevor Longman gives us this uh, this um, uh, this quote here. The psalmist is speaking to God. The psalmist is the writer, the author of a psalm, is speaking to God about God on the basis of being in a covenant relationship with him. So we know covenant relationship, we have God here and God's people, right? God's so this relationship is how um, is very important to understand in the Psalms, right? The, all the psalmists are writing about God um, and crying out to God, right? And God uh, cares for His people; He loves His people, and so this relationship um, is very important to understand, right? Does that make sense? Okay, uh, keep moving on. Uh, Psalm one and two introduces and orients the reader to the Psalms. So Psalm one and two are. Psalm 1 and 2 are basically introdu- introduces us to the entire book of the psalm. Psalm 1 um, is a, a wisdom psalm, and it's basically kind of instruction. And there's uh, the psalmist says there are two ways, there are only two types of people. The blessed man who uh, longs for God and longs for, uh, wants to imp- obey his law, right? He longs for, like, he delights in the law. And then there's the person who does not, the wicked guy, right? And this is in Psalm 1. And then in Psalm 2, it's a, um, um, it talks about uh, the coming of a king, the coronation, the crowning of a king, and that the Lord reigns, okay? So, Lord reigns in Psalm 2. So this is a big, uh, big uh, theme in, in the Psalms, right? Like that, uh, that God is king, right? The Lord reigns. Um, and then ha- and there's kind of our relationship between the two. Like there's, we have to long for God. We need to obey his laws, right? All right, and then so um, the other main themes uh, I have down here, um, the ESV Study Bible has monotheism, which is there's only one God, right? Creation and fall, uh, election and covenant, covenant membership. We talked about how uh, covenant is very important to understand. And then Futaro says these three, he kind of like sums it up basically. Our God is king, right? Uh, our destiny is glory, and our king is coming. Does that make sense? Pretty clear? Okay. Any questions? Okay. All right. So now we're going to talk about the purpose of the Psalms. Um, and the purpose of the Psalms is to confess faith and love in God 
Um, Jeff, can you read this Longman quote for us? The psalmists cry out to God from the context of their intimate covenant relationship with God, and they call on others who know God's love to do the same. Right. Um, yeah, so 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 every psalm is, is just the psalmist crying out to God, right? And within the relationship that we talked about, right? Um, and they're saying they're they're calling uh, fellow uh, um, fellow brothers to to do the same to to cry out to God, right? Um, and so we see that the use of the psalms in the Old Testament and the New Testament was for private and public worship, right? Um, uh, but in the New Testament, uh, it says we are able to read the psalms with a fuller understanding, knowing that the psalm and all scripture revealed and anticipated Jesus, right, the coming of the Davidic King and Messiah. Um, and so we have, so we see, so let's see, so a psalm, let's say, so let's say this is a psalm. So this is, let's say this is the psalm, right? Um, this is one individual psalm. And so the author, which we don't always know who it is, but we'll say it's a, say David wrote a psalm in his time. So in his, in his context, in his context, he's talking about um, whatever he's talking about in that original setting, in that original context, in, in that time. Does that make sense? Um, and then there's another way to, uh, we can read it, right? So... Um, so this is, and then uh, when the when all of the psalms was uh, compiled, we can uh, again uh, have that historical setting of, okay, how do how do I read it when King David wrote it? How do I read it after the entire psalms was written, right? And then now, in the New Testament, how do we read the psalms, right? So there's historical setting of, uh, there are different ways to kind of interpret it, right? Ultimately, it's 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 kind of uh, um, the same, right? It points to uh, Christ, right? And we see here, does that make sense? I, I know I went through that really uh, quickly. Um, but let's read Luke 24, and then we'll have a better understanding of that. Uh, Clarence, can you read Luke 24 for us? <coughs> and he said to them, O foolish ones, <coughs> and slow of heart to believe uh, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Right, right. So, so within Luke, within this, uh, um, in Luke twenty-four, we see that there are two guys on the road road to Emmaus, right? And Jesus shows up, and um, and he's rebuking them because they didn't understand, you know, uh, his uh, the, that Christ died, right? And so Christ is, is saying uh, in verse 27, if you look here, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he's pointing back to all the scripture, right? Jesus is. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So basically Jesus is saying that everything in the, in the scriptures like speak of me, right? They're talking about me. They're pointing to Christ, right? And so, so say David wrote this psalm, um, and it's within his context, his uh, whatever's going on at that time, um, and so you can read it that way. But ultimately, it points to Christ, right? It's to Christ. Um, a lot of the Psalms point to Christ. They just uh, um, they may may not have had a full understanding of it back then, but now in the New Testament, uh, we see that a lot of the things they were talking about Christ, right? Um, and then even Paul in Acts and in Romans, he some, a lot of he quotes the Psalms. 
um, talking about Christ. Does that make sense? And and um, yeah, there, the Psalms is like the most uh, quoted uh, book in the, of the Bible in the New Testament. So a lot of people quoted the Psalms, right? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So the Psalms is also uh, helpful in developing our theology. Right. So we learn much about God. Um, how he interacts with his people, how he loves and cares for his people. And we also learn about ourselves, how we are to respond, right? We can cry out to him, um, even in our suffering, um, even in our praises, we cry out to God, right? So we just develop this theology of, of how God works, um, who he is, um, and how we can uh, um, um, love him back, right? And then see, Psalms, Psalms is also a book to instruct God's people on happiness and holiness. Um, there's a lot of instruction on just how to be happy in Christ, right? In God. Um, and how to live holy, uh, holy lives, right? Any questions before we move to genre? There's, a, there's like so many more things we can talk about, but this is just a really brief overview. Uh, if we get too detailed, uh, we'll get lost, right? I'll get lost. Um, and so, okay, well, let's talk about genre. If we're making good time. Um, so genre, I'm, I'm sure I'll, a lot of you guys know what genre is, right? Anybody want to <coughs> say what a genre is? Like yes, yeah, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So there's genres in everything, right? In movies and books. Um and so we see that uh, uh, to understand what a genre is is helpful for our understanding in, in how we read it, right? And how we approach whatever it is, a book, right? If it's, if it's like a newspaper, um, then we read it differently than we read a fiction, right? And so in that sense, it helps us to, okay, uh, switch our mindset to be, okay, this is this type of reading. So, so you can enjoy it more fully and you're able to... Um, um, just interpret it uh, more fully, right? So the Bible is uh, uh, split into prose and poetry, right? So here's Bible. I I wrote this little chart here. I know it's really small, but so right here, Bible. It goes to the goes to prose, and then there's poetry, right? And we'll talk about <coughs> prose and poetry um, next. But, and in poetry, there's different types of poetry in the in the Bible, right? There's a Psalms, a Proverbs, um, so we'll say Psalms is here. <coughs> and within Psalms, it's, they're broken up like a ton of categories, right? Um, um, but we'll, uh, in general, we can we can uh, we can break it down into eight categories, right? Um, so let's go let's uh, look at the eight categories first, and we'll come back to prose and poetry. Um, so yeah, the, there, there are a lot of scholars that categorize the, um, uh, the different genres differently. Um, so, so what I have here is, uh, kind of, um, a general categorization, right? Uh, some different scholars will categorize it differently and, uh, but basically all Psalms will fall into one of these, this, these categories, okay? So we have, um. Um, a hymn, hymns of praise, which is exuberant praise of the Lord, right? Uh, that's obvious. And then a lamp, lament, which is opposite extreme of praise, something very depressing, very sorrowful, very uh, um, like a lament, like ah, 
I need, I need you, God. You know, like I need help, right? Just crying out in, in just agony, right? And then we have Thanksgiving, usually a response to an answered lament. So when, when, uh, when the psalmist cries out, God, I need you, and then God answers, then they said, Oh, thank, thank God, right? You are, you're my God, right? And then remembrance, remembering God's past faithfulness. So he, the psalmist looks to the past and says, God has been faithful from, from all this time, so we need to remember that. And then there's confidence. A confidence psalm is trust in God's goodness, greatness, and power. Uh, kingship focuses on either earthly king or God as king. So earthly king like uh, King David or whoever, um, or else just God as king in general, right? Then we have the wisdom psalms. Uh, concrete ways God wants his people to live right? and then imprecatory I think Michael's doing an imprecatory psalm right? uh, and this is uh, the psalmist is praying that God would curse his enemies and this needs to be talked in a lot more detail to under, fully understand what that really means right? because we're not supposed to curse our enemies right? but we'll talk about that uh, Michael will talk about that a lot more in depth um, when, he, uh, when he teaches okay? and then each psalm doesn't have to be set into a lament, set into a praise. It could be mixed, right? A mix of both. Okay, so it's flexible, okay? But this is just in general to help our minds uh, understand where things fall in place. Does it make sense? Any questions? No questions? Pretty straightforward? Pretty <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so la- this last part with titles of the psalms and we'll jump into Hebrew poetry okay? and then and yeah, we should uh, be good from there so titles of the psalms um, if you look at uh, in your Bibles then there's there's usually like a little uh, title or uh, or superscription I think that's what it's called in a lot of the beginning of the psalms right um, let me try to pull one up oh well, I mean Isaiah I do um so, like, for example, Psalm 36, I'm looking at my Bible here. It says, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord, right? And so that's considered a title. Um, and so there are generally two types of titles, right? There's a title of uh, authorship, so who wrote the psalm, who it's attributed to. And then there's a title that uh, gives you the historical context, okay? And so these typically help you to inform you of, okay, I'm about to read the psalm here, Psalm 36, and it says it's of David. So it helps you to be like, okay, it's attributed to David, so that puts you in the mindset of of uh, that historical narrative, what, what happened then, right? Um, and so the titles of the psalms is, is, is kind of funny because a lot of scholars have different views about the psalms, right? Um, some say the titles are canonical, meaning um, that it's part of it's part of the Bible. It's... it's uh, it's inspired, right? And then some others say that it's not, that it's just reliable, uh, um, a reliable early tradition that it was added later on, right? And so a lot of, a lot of the Psalms, um, the titles in the Psalms, they were, um, a lot of, a lot of them were not sure if they were added at that time of that writing. Does that make sense? It, it, it looks like a lot of them were added later on. And so, so how do you read it, right? It's, it's weird, right? Because, and then, um, uh, for example, Psalm 51. Um, it's this is this is a, a popular psalm, right? Uh, where uh, it was David and Bathsheba, and Nathan calls out David, and David's like, "No, right? It's crazy." Um, and then that matches up to 
Second Samuel 12, right? Historically, okay, this is perfect, right? It matches up. That title matches up with what actually went on in that psalm within that context. Uh, but there are other psalms where it doesn't match up quite well. And so how do you how do you reconcile that, right? How do you figure that out? Um, and so uh, I thought it was helpful that Futaro, he says that um, Futaro here, this was helpful. Uh, Futaro wrote this, wrote this book here. Uh, he's a professor, I think, at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, he says that uh, they are, uh, uh, that it's helpful to inform you, but he doesn't use the titles to help him interpret it interpret the actual psalm as much. Does that make sense? He just uses it as, okay, this is helpful, but ultimately it's, it's you know, we're not sure, right? <laughs> so, um, and also what's what's really really good is uh, that without the without these titles, it doesn't, um, the psalms, the psalms in, uh, itself, the context of it, there's not a lot of reference to actual historical events, specific events, right? So that gives it a sense of, what, timelessness, right? And so you can read a psalm and be like, okay, I can completely relate to this psalm because it's not talking about, oh, David uh, slept with Bathsheba, and, and then I'm like, oh, I can't relate to that because I didn't do that, right? But there's a sense of timelessness. There's no specific reference to a historical event. Does that make sense? And so that gives, that without the titles, uh, if you don't, if you just read the psalms through, um, there's just this sense of timelessness. It's, we can relate to it. It's relevant to us at all times, right? Does it make sense? Any questions before we move on to Hebrew poetry? I know we went through that super fast, but... Cool. Okay, so now... Hebrew poetry. Okay, so now we'll talk about Hebrew poetry, right? You guys have a good understanding of Psalms as a whole. <laughs> a little bit better. Okay. Um, uh, Eric, can you read uh, this this quote from Futado for us? Hebrew poetry is a type of literature that communicates with terse lines, employing parallelism and imagery in high frequency. Right. So terse, um, if you don't know what that means, it's basically concise, uh, powerful, kind of effective, uh, short lines, right? Um, and so Hebrew poetry is is important to understand because within the Old Testament, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. Um, there's only there's there's poetry scattered throughout all of the Old Testament, not just you know very heavily focused on the Psalm, but throughout all of Old Testament, there's a lot of poetry, only maybe five books, five or so books don't have poetry in it, right? Um, and um, uh, what's, what's kind of cool is that, you know, like, the early Hebrew manuscripts, they didn't have line breaks or indentations. So you, if we look, you know how you, if you look in your Bible, the Psalms, there's all these line breaks and indentations that distinguishes poetry from prose. Um, yeah, they didn't have that back then. It was all just all just written out, you know? Um, and so, how do we tell what's poetry, what's prose? Um, uh, we're going to talk about that in, with the parts, right? Um, I'm just going to say something. I forget. You guys have any questions so far? No questions. Okay, so poetry, 
poetry is very so we all we all know what prose is, right? It's kind of this commonplace style of writing. It's uh, just meant to inform us, uh, very um, intellectual, right? It just kind of like historical narrative. If we read um, other parts of the Bible, like Judges or whatever, it just gives us this historical narrative. What happened? Uh, very straightforward uh, style of writing, right? And then poetry is very evocative, right? It stimulates you know our mind and our emotions, right? Because it just is this so much imagery. There's all these like weird things going on. It's like okay, it really um, um, helps us to, I guess. I wouldn't say not be bored, but just makes us more excited, right? So that's poetry, right? Um, so parts of the Hebrew, uh, parts of Hebrew poetry, we have. Let's see, we have the line. Uh, we have. We have the strophe, and we have the stanza, right? And so, um, when we understand Hebrew poetry, um, how the author intentionally wrote things out this way um, helps us to uh, be more intentional in how we read it, right? It kind of pops out to us like, oh, okay, the author is writing it this way um, to try to evoke our emotions, right? Okay? So that's, this is why why Hebrew poetry is important, right? So the line is uh, a basic unit of Hebrew poetry. Um, a, a line is one complete parallelistic, and we'll talk about that uh, expression of thought. So it's just one complete thought. Think about it that way, okay? Um, each line can contain two or more poetic phrases. So let's let's write this out first. Let's do. Uh, so I have down here Psalm ninety two, right? Psalm ninety two. Can someone uh, read that? Kim, could you? It is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Okay, so so each line can contain two or more poetic phrases. So there's two phrases here, right? So this is considered one line right here, right? Each half line is a colon. So so we'll say this this whole thing is a line. Each half line is a colon, right? So, so here's a colon. Here's a colon. No, cola. Right? Well, which one's a colon? Colon is singular. I think so. Okay. <laughs> this is to remind myself. Colon is is plural. Singular. Singular. Cola. Um, so each half line is a colon. So this is a half line, colon, colon. So the basic and most frequent line is called a bicolon. Right? There's two of these. Bicola. Make sense? Bicola. <laughs> Are you sure? I think so. No, bicolon. Because oh, yeah. there's two colons. A cola <laughs> is... Oh. Right? I don't know. That's okay, because that's how I read it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? Pretty straightforward. So this is Psalm 92 one, right? This is a line, right? Uh, if you look at the next page, a line can also be a tricolon. Um, I won't write it out, but uh, we've seen Psalm 112, um, verse 9, um, that there's uh, that there's three, there's three, there's three lines, 
And that's the tricolon. <laughs> and then there's also a tetracolon, which is four, or a quatrain. It's also called a quatrain. Or a monocola. Monocola um, is just one phrase. A lot of it is, a lot of times it says, praise the Lord. And that's, that's one, uh, cola. Mono, that's where, that's where they, they sell it, that. Mono cola, right? Okay? Um, other things to know is a line is not necessarily equivalent to an English sentence. Right? So we see in Psalm 117 here, uh, uh Chow, can you read 117 for us? Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all people. Yeah, so there's two sentences in here, right? And this is considered one line. Okay. Um, and number four, some verses can contain more than one line. So this verse, Psalm forty-seven nine, there's there's two lines in there, right? We see we see these two lines here. Okay. So th- this is kind of the nitty gritty of of how uh, of the parts, right? Uh, the first colon will always be um, on the left margin, and then the second one will always be indented, right? And so. Um, uh, another thing, uh, uh, another thing that's that's helpful to read in your uh, when it so it doesn't get too messy in Psalms uh, when you're reading a psalm. So let's say let's say for example this is a line, right? And this is goes like this. It goes like this. So this is let's pretend this is your columns of your Bible, right? So so here's your first one. Here's your second one. Second one always indents, right? And then this one, if the f- sentence isn't done yet then it's going to indent here. So that's the third one. So this is just connected. It's, it's kind of obvious, right? Um, but usually it's just these two right here. Okay? Make sense? All right. And then the trophy is basically equivalent to um, a paragraph, um, a paragraph in prose, right? So, um, okay, right here. Uh, modern translations of Bible indicate the divisions of trophies by adding an extra space in between each trophy. So there's usually, if it's like a, um, if it's a trophy, it's, it's, if there's kind of like a new paragraph, a new thought, there's an indentation, there's a space, right? You can see that in our Bibles. Um, and the trophies basically are to, um, uh, the primary basis for grouping lines into a trophy is sense, kind of like a paragraph, right? A trophy focuses on a common theme and one idea holds the verse Verses in the trophy together. So we can, I'm not going to read this, but Psalm 13, you can see that in your um, your handout, um, just how it's split up, right? Um, the first part is just ask. The psalmist is just asking, "How long? Uh, how long, O Lord?" So he's crying out to God. He's asking, "How long? How long? How long?" And then the second paragraph, the second strophe, um, he's just he says, "Consider and answer me." So he's calling out to God. He's like, "Help me!" Right? And then another translation, um, I think it's the NLT. Um, it says, do not let my enemies do this to me, right? Don't let my enemies say I have prevailed, right? And then the last paragraph says, is praise. It ends up in being praise, right? But I have trusted in your steadfast love, right? I will sing to the Lord. Does it make sense? Pretty clear? Okay, and then the stanzas, basically, I won't get too in-depth too in depth with that. It's just... Um, it breaks it up even more, right? Or it, uh, it groups it up even more. Um, it will have trophies that are grouped up in, and then into another theme, and then another group of trophies will be another theme. Does that make sense? Cool. Any questions? Any questions? Can you clear? 
So that's the line, the strophe, and the stanza. Okay. So that's the parts of um, um, Hebrew poetry that you can see in, in the Psalms. Okay. And then we have parallelism. Parallelism. Um, it's a relationship of correspondence between the, the cola, the phrases of a poetic line. And so I shouldn't have erased that, but I'll just draw a line here. So these two are, these they relate to each other, right? They're very closely tied to each other. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry to draw these lines. But, um, and so uh, how do we read these two lines? How do we kind of put them together in our minds, right? So uh, very quickly, um, the dominant approach to how we were to interpret and read this before was A does not equal B, right? Um Okay, so let me. Let me write that out. This is short song. Uh, okay, let me write. Uh, there's no time to write it, sorry. <laughs> uh, I was gonna keep this and just give that, that, uh, that, uh, that line as an example, but it basically says that, that these two lines are not equal to each other. It's talking about two separate things, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, in 1750, then a uh, guy Robert Loth, he's like, no, that's not right because there's plenty of plenty of lines that sit that wouldn't make sense if you were to say that A does not equal B, right? And so he says, this is called a traditional approach. He says, uh, A now equals B, right? And so now they're reading it differently. Now he says that this first line, um, this first cola colon is equal to this colon, right? Um, so we see in, um, just for example, uh, uh, we'll say, we'll say Psalm 47 1, let me read to you. Clap your hands, all peoples. That's one, that's one col uh, colon. The next colon says, shout to God with loud songs of joy. So he's saying that these two things are equal, right? Um, it's basically, he, he's saying that, okay, that, now we're, we're, we're praising God, uh, where we are, um, um, rejoicing in God and that the second line, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Same thing, right? It's just, these two are talking about the same thing, right? And then, now the more modern approach, uh, is saying like, no, this is, this is, this is good, it's better than the last one, but now we go to, we go to A. So meaning A, so yes, this line, the statement, A, but what's more, B? Yes. Okay. <laughs> hold, hold no I think um, this was very, very, very helpful to me. Yeah. Um, understanding that the dynamics of Hebrew poetry. Uh, I can hold that. <laughs> like this is very. I mean, what Harry is saying um, is is the key to understanding mm. how to read Hebrew poetry. Because what you basically have is you have these two parts, mm -hmm. and they relate to each other. And Hebrew poetry is really compact because it doesn't spell out the relationship. So you have to figure out the relationship. I don't know. I mean, I know they read the SATs, but do you guys remember SAT analogies, right? So you would have like one word, whoops, one word, and then you'd have a colon, and then you have another word, right? And then they give you all these options, and you have to figure out what the correct analogy is, right? And then if you take SATs, uh, a prep class. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to, they just give you two words. You're supposed to find out the relationship, right? 
And then when I went to SAT prep class, basically they would say, create a sentence, a logical sentence that fits both words. Mm. And then the tighter the logical sentence, the better, and then you can figure out which which analogy is the correct one. This is exactly the same thing with Hebrew poetry. They give you two lines, they're in parallel formation, there's a relationship, but they don't tell you what the relationship is. And your job as a reader is to figure out the analogy, the relationship. And so it's a really compact way to pack in a ton of information. Because in prose, you spell it out. This is related to this. But in Hebrew poetry, what's so beautiful about it is they don't spell it out for you. They just give you two lines, and they're like, you figure it out. You think it through. So, like, for example, right, um, Harry's page right here, Psalm 112, takes a great example. It says, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. This is at the very top. Um, right, so... That's one, that's one part. His righteousness endures forever. Okay, so what's the relationship between he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever? What's the relationship? And then you, you have to think it through, and you, you realize God's righteousness is manifested through his love for the poor, right? That's the relationship. And so what the translators are doing is they're indenting it to let you know this is what's going on. Because in the actual manuscript, it's not like that, right? Because I guess the Hebrew are so much better than this. Also, yeah. paper was spare, so they don't have time to like yeah, yeah. lay it out all beautifully. Like they're like, well, <coughs> what's all this white space? Ignore it, right? Right in between the white spaces. Um, and so, by indenting it, <coughs> the writers letting you know. I mean, the, the translators are letting you know. Connect. Figure out the relationship. Yeah. So, like for me, it was a hugely revolutionary because <coughs> I used to read the Psalms like I used to read Acts hmm. or Luke really fast, yeah. just for the action, you know, the story. And then you're like, I got nothing out of that. That's because you're supposed to read it 20 times slower. You're supposed to read one one line and pause and then think. Thank you. Any questions on that? So, so yes. Um, so now the approach that most people use now is A, what's A, this line, but what's more B? Right. Um, so kind of like what Michael said, right? If we look at Psalm um, 112, 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, right? So yeah, that's A, but what's more B? Right? And then it kind of adds to it. There's a there's a sense that there's a um, um, a bit addition, more additional uh, additional information that goes into this second line, which helps helps connect these two things together, and which kind of gives you kind of more of an aha, like, oh, okay, that's really good, right? Does that make sense? So now now most scholars use this approach here, right? Um, and it, so this is... It basically what it's saying, here's a sample logical sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it's very broad, um, mm-hmm. and I think in some ways, like, you need to figure out the relationship. Yes, yes, true. Yes. Cool. Um... So yeah, does that make sense? The how we approach, how we to read, um, the, um, read each uh, line, okay? And then we'll talk about imagery, and we'll we'll end there, okay? Imagery is really good. I really like this part. Um, so in the last page and a half, uh, we have imagery. Right? Imagery is a figurative, is figurative or descriptive language in a literary work to evoke a vivid picture and image in a person's mind, right? So poetry is rich. And dense with all with images, right? So it give, has all these images in poetry that we see, um, and so we have two types of images. Very quickly, simile. Uh, this is 
this should be pretty obvious. Right? Simile is explicit comparison with the words like or as. Um, metaphor, explicit comparison without the words like or as. And I think I have an example. Oh, let's go to C, and then we'll talk about we'll talk about that. Um, so we see that if we look at uh, Psalm 18:2, it says, "The Lord is my rock." Right. So it doesn't say the Lord is like my rock. That would be a simile. Simile, the Lord is my rock is a metaphor. Make sense? Can you clear? Okay. So how an image works is it compares two things that are similar, right? Uh, in some ways, but dissimilar in other ways. And this dissimilarity is what surprises us and causes us to take notice. Then we look for the similarity. So um, look at look down to Psalm 91.4. It says, uh, the last line, right? It says, his faithfulness is a shield and buckler, right? So it's like, oh, wow, that's weird. Because it's comparing two things. It's comparing something kind of intangible, right? His faithfulness, God's faithfulness, to something tangible, something that we know of, a shield, a buckler, right? And so those are the two dissimilar things. But what makes it similar is what kind of catches our attention, right? Um, and helps it helps us to develop that thought. Uh, so how is it similar? His faithfulness uh, protects us, right? It's like a shield. It protects us. It covers us. Um, and it's... Uh, there to keep us from harm, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so... So, uh, so yes. basically, in Hebrew imagery, you're supposed to stop and think about the image. Yes. Um, and reflect. Yes. And uh, I think this is what makes Hebrew poetry difficult for us, mm-hmm. because a lot of the imagery has to do with that time period. And we don't have shields. Yes. We don't know what that means. But at the yeah. time, like... It was such a hugely powerful image that God is a shield. Yes, yeah. Because mm-hmm. when you go into battle, you don't understand how terrifying battle is when yeah. people are trying to kill you. So your shield protects you. Like blunts their blows. Yeah. So you're supposed to like think about that. Yes, yeah, and, and I, in this last point I said that uh, to in, in order to appreciate these images, right, we need to realize that many of the biblical images are foreign to us, right? Uh, so like to shield, the fortress, um, um, a shepherd, right? We don't really know. We we can conceptually think, okay, that's a shepherd. No, they do this, this, this. But back then, it was like so important to them, right? Um, the shield was so important to them. The fortress was so important to them, like to protect them, right? Uh, they didn't have all this stuff like we have now. And so maybe like uh, we can say, like in our culture, we understand. Um, I don't know. Uh, what's an example? Like uh, my love for you is like. Uh, I don't know, smartphone, smartphone, something like that, right? <laughs> and then somebody in another, uh, another, <laughs> another uh, century, another culture will be like, what? Right? They'll be kind of confused. They'll have an idea that okay, we always had our smartphone with us. We always touched it and and uh, talked to it, right? <laughs> but, but they didn't. They didn't. They can't know the fullness of it. Does that make sense? And so, so in that sense, we don't understand the fullness of a shield, a fortress, uh, um, a shepherd, right? And so for us to really, really grasp this idea, we need to study um, their culture. We really need to know where they're coming from, right? Uh, and so um, with the last couple minutes, uh, Futaro says this, Images touch our emotions because they weave vivid pictures from the fabric of ordinary life. So the things that um, the psalmist had in his ordinary life, uh, being a shepherd, they all knew what a shepherd was. Uh, they wove that into just the image of how God relates to us, right? Um, images are not as precise as literal language, but whatever is lost in precision is gained in vividness of expression. I love that, right? So 
Example is Psalm 23, 1, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So why not just say that the Lord loves us and guides us and, and cares for us, right? Uh, isn't that really straightforward, as in prose? Like, this is what God does for us, blah, 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 blah. Like, list it out, right? But no, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the Lord is my shepherd, basically, like, in, in, in like, five words, he basically <coughs> writes this, draws this beautiful picture and, and fills, a, like, a thousand words of how God cares for us, right? And so the image of the shepherd it speaks directly to our hearts because we understand that the shepherd, he lives with the sheep, he watches carefully over them, he makes sure that no wolves eat them, he cares for all their needs and keeps them from getting lost. So, so it's just this beautiful, vivid, powerful um, way to connect how God relates to his people. Does that make sense? And so imagery is like beautiful. Like anytime you read read these things, I'm like, oh man, it's so good. Like how... What? You know, like a lot of, and then a lot of things will be like, oh, what is that? And then you'll look it up and be like, okay, now I understand more fully what the psalmist is talking about. And so there's that connection of a uh, heart and gives you a uh, heart and head and it's like, ah, oh, just praise God for all these things, right? Does that make sense? Any questions? Any questions? Before we close up? Cool. So that's the introduction to the psalms. I know it's super rushed. Um, I know we could go into a lot more depth so you guys can understand a little bit better, but hopefully this gives you a very brief overview of just kind of what the psalms uh, entails and how we can uh, to approach it. So just continue to study, right? Just continue to figure out how we are to uh, interpret these uh, these psalms and, and the Bible in general, right? So with that, let me pray. Um, and Father, we thank you uh, that... Um, we are able to study your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you have saved us and, and given us a heart to want to long for you and seek you. And uh, we pray, Father, that as we read the Psalms, um, that it would, Psalms and just all of Bible, that it would just continually um, touch our hearts, uh, that we would uh, just be in awe and floored by who you are, just your greatness and your faithfulness to us. Uh, we pray, Father, that we continue to be um, diligent in our studies, um, that we, in our personal studies, we would continually seek you, uh, no, no matter how busy we are, um, and that we would just continue to grow and, and love you and long for you, to long for, long for that day where we'll be next to you, we'll be in your presence, and and we'll know just how crazy um, um, our faith is and how how much you love us. So we love you. Be with us as we. Uh, worship with you the next hour and um, just continue to grow us together. We love you and pray in your son's name. Amen.